This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips, he will score the tying run. In the third goes Rosarena. It's an 8-8 eight eight game, and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon. Welcome to our latest show. Today we sit down with reliever Jason Adam and discuss his new home. Brian Anderson will join us to discuss the week on by. We'll be joined by last year's first-round pick Carson Williams. Plus, as we wrap up Mental Health Awareness Month, we'll chat with Sammy Byerly of Baseball Operations and pitching coach Kyle Snyder about Gene Ramirez. And we'll visit with Danny Docks of Baseball Operations. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest this week is one of the many standout relievers in the race bullpen. And joining us right now is Jason Adam in his first year with the race organization. Jason, we certainly appreciate a few minutes. I appreciate you having me on, Neil. Tell me what you've enjoyed most so far about this season, at least on paper. It's been your best season at the big league level to date. Yeah, I mean, it's been a fun season. I think uh, to say what I enjoy most, I think it's just the guys, the guys that are here, the players, the coaching staff. They're all easy to get along with, a fun group of guys. So we have a blast down there in the bullpen. But at the same time, it's a lot. there's a lot of smart people in this organization who can teach you how to get better. And us guys in the bullpen, we, we get serious when we need to. But other than that, we're just having a good time. You had played for a handful of different organizations before the Rays. What has made this place maybe a little bit different? You know, you talk about the fun. Is it more fun than any other place you've been? I, I would say yes. And I think part of that, any time I wasn't having the fun in the past was likely my fault just from being overstressed or thinking about things that out of my control. So I think that's part of it. But also I think this organization from top to bottom does a great job clearly communicating expectations and clearly communicating that, hey, you do whatever gets the most out of you and just have success on the field and we and be yourself otherwise. So it frees a lot of us up, I think, to have a bit more fun. But yeah, so I think I think it's a great organization from top to bottom. We had one of those other fun guys with us as our feature guest last week in J.P. Fireisen. He said that you and Kittredge's dad jokes have kind of stolen the showdown in the bullpen this year. What's your take on that? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored to be in the conversation with Kit. He's, he's a legendary dad joker. So just to be mentioned in that in that wake is unbelievable. So tell me, what is your favorite? You have a go-to dad joke or, or, one, that, or one that you remember that Kit has said that has uh, had the bullpen – like roaring jeez. Oh, oh man that's tough so kids got the good scripted jokes like the ones that you can repeat I, mine are more i usually just make puns off of guys names you know we had a lot of fun when trout passed who did he pass salmon on the mm-hmm. like all-time home runs in, in anaheim so we had a lot of fun making puns off of that but i can't think of one off the top of my head have you always been known as a dad joke guy or is this kind of been kind of a new thing with you and kid? I know. I, I think that's kind of, that's been my MO for a few years now. I don't know. I just, I'm at my best when I'm not all that serious. So I think I just enjoy, I enjoy laughing. I, I enjoy if I can get other people laughing or if I can just get other people saying, Oh my, come on, that's terrible. So that's probably what I enjoy even more. And I know you've also gotten the nickname, what two names? JP says, because Jason and Adam, obviously, what is that? Where does that nickname rank up in some, because I'm sure you play baseball long enough. You're going to get a million different nicknames. Yeah. This is the first one that's really stuck. Honestly, I think, I mean, Jason, Adam, like there's not a lot of nicknames that can come from either one of those. So JP got one and and it's stuck. So kudos to him. (laughs) And obviously kudos to you on the way that you're pitching. You know, you mentioned the environment here and how it makes you comfortable. How much of that is is mental versus anything that they've done with you physically at all? 
you're exactly right with that question. It, it's it's two sided. It's mental and physical. I think from the physical side, they tell you what pitches are good, why they're good, where to throw them, etc. But from the mental side, you also have that comfort that they know they've crunched the numbers. They say if you do this over time, we're trusting that your numbers will line up to be the, in this range. And so at the end of the day, if you make a good pitch and it gets hit, you can sleep easy knowing that just like I like I can sleep easy knowing I know that was a good pitch, but I also know they know that was a good pitch and that they're trusting the numbers over time um, as opposed to uh, as performers. Like you can make three good pitches, give up three blue broken bat singles, and all of a sudden you give up a run. They're not so focused on that run. They're more focused on the execution of the pitches, knowing that over time. I don't know if that made sense, but it's just nice knowing that they're trusting the process so you can trust the process. I'm guessing other places you have been, that doesn't exist necessarily. No knocking anywhere else you've been. It, it, yeah, I think I think everywhere wants to be like that, but it's really hard, especially at the big league level, because you have to answer. Every game is vitally important in the major leagues. So if you got a guy giving up a few runs, even if he's making his pitches, like someone has to answer for those runs. So it's it's tough to do. But So here it does it really, really well. You know, you have, and, and I think a lot of guys in that bullpen are succeeding too because of their life experience. You're 30 years of age. And I think someone had joked, you know, you're saying, hey, 30, I, I finally got my first big league save. But, yeah. but at, at that same time, you have experienced enough in life where you probably feel a lot more comfortable in your own skin than a 23-year-old who hasn't been through all that yet. 100%, yeah. And I'm a firm believer that everything, good, bad, and different in our lives, happens for a reason and works together for our good. So whether it's the injuries I went through, whatever, like having three kids at home, uh, all that, I think that all contributes for our good and can be used to grow you as a man and a, and even a baseball player. So yeah, 100%, I think that uh, us guys down there, a little more seasoned, seasoned off the field, but maybe a little bit younger as far as like big league experience. It helps us relax and just know who we are. So let's touch on some of those life experiences. As a dad, how much does that help? You mentioned being a dad of three kids. How has that helped you gain perspective and maybe help you grow as a pitcher? It's a great perspective giver. I mean, at the end of the day, my three daughters, they don't care how I pitch. If I pitch great, they're not all that impressed. If I pitch terrible, they still want me to come home and be a fun dad. So it's it's nice, it's nice going home and having that separation. Where I think when I was younger, I'd obsess over the game and worship the game. Now I kind of have that built-in distraction of like, you know what, leave it at the field. You've done everything you can, and let's just, good or bad, let's just focus on being a good dad, and then we'll focus on baseball when it's time to focus on baseball. You grew up on the game. How often did you go to Royals games as a kid growing up in the Kansas City area? As much as I could, but I, I mean, I, you know how it is with you sports. I feel like starting at age like nine, I was going to playing like 50, 70 games a summer. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'd always do team trips to the Royals game. Yeah, I, I love going to those games. And, and it's a beautiful stadium. So, it, yeah, I, I grew up loving baseball. Was there ever a Royals versus Cardinals? I know the rivalry there is big. Did you ever have to really choose between the two, or was Kansas City chosen for you? Kansas City was pretty easy. To choose. I mean, it was, it's like 20 minutes from my house, St. Louis. Although I will say I, I did love Mark McGuire. I was, as a kid, <laughs> I, was, I dressed up as him for like two Halloweens, I think. So I guess my loyalty wasn't all that thick. But uh, yeah, the Royals were my team just because there was 20 minutes from the house. I, I didn't go to Bush Stadium until I played in it. Did you want to be a starting pitcher always as, as a kid growing up? Or when did the relief opportunity come out as a professional? That's interesting. I, I didn't really think about it much as a kid, whether start or reliever. I think I really wanted to be a position player. I'm just, I can't hit for a breaking ball. And I probably can't hit a straight one anymore either. But uh, I think... The more I always dreamt about, like when I think about pitching being in that big moment, like you know, end of a game, faces loaded, like you know, every kid does in the backyard. So that would lend to more of a reliever mindset. But I was a starter coming through the minor leagues my first four years. And then after I missed 15, 16, and most of 17 with my elbow injury, they just kind of it was the decision was like, all right, like you're, you're relieving now, <laughs> we're not going to build you back up to start. And, and I've loved it, it's been so good for me. I think my mindset's better built for relieving. Yeah, I love it. Who are your best mentors with that? Because it's never an easy transition to make. You know, people say, oh, it's easy to go from starter to reliever, less times through the order, shorten them up. But the mentality's different. The prep's different. Who are your big yeah. um, mentors? So many people have helped me with that, with all aspects of pitching throughout my career. I think uh, 
have a friend out in San Diego. His name's Dom Johnson. He he's helped me just with everything pitching. I shortened up my arm action when I was hurt. He helped me through that. Uh, and just the mentality of attacking hitters. He's helped me a ton. He's been probably the biggest help in my career pitching wise. Um, but every coach I've had along the way, because it, it's been a growing, uh, there's been some growing pains, like you said, but um, every coach has an impact. And then even coming here this year, getting to talk to Andrew Kittredge, who had obviously a great year last year, having a great year this year, just talking to him about mindset out there and, and how to attack hitters. So too many to name for sure. And you brought up the injuries that you had, 15, 16, 17. But last year's injury, while it wasn't an arm injury, might have been physically more brutal. Um, yeah. in, in short form, tell our fans what happened and how difficult yeah. that rehab was maybe compared to some of the others. Yeah, this one. So so what happened was I was shagging BP. I just got option to Des Moines. So I was in AAA shagging BP, just jumped for a ball kind of casually, landed, heard a pop, and all of a sudden I was on the ground. I was like, huh. I think I must have sprained my ankle, but I looked down and uh, the bone was sticking out of the skin. So obviously got rushed to the hospital. They put it all back together that night. And then I got DFA'd a couple of days after, which goes into how you talked about the rehab process. I think that worked in my favor that I got designated because I didn't have a team looking over my shoulder. So I, what I was doing was I was in a cast and I was just throwing from my knees so that once the foot was healthy, I was able to ramp up my throwing program quicker. So it was a physically scary injury initially because, you know, you, you hear about Alex Smith, all those. If, if it gets infected, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Um, but thankfully, no infection. Um, and so once we cleared that risk of infection, which was after a couple weeks, I think, the rehab was just laying on the couch, throwing a ball into a wall, and then uh, slowly starting to ramp it back up and, you know, getting in a walking boot, walking a little bit, and I didn't run at all last year. So when I got back up to the big leagues, if a team would have bunted on me, I would have been in trouble. <laughs> but uh, but then this offseason, I focus more on getting that explosive this back and can run and cover first and I can jog in from the bullpen, which is really all I need to do. Was that more scary, at least for the first two weeks than previous? Or was this one a little easier than some of the things you went through mentally before? This was the hardest mentally for the short that short period of time yeah I think I literally just watched that Alex Smith documentary with my wife like a week or two before so I was I was scared first time in my life I was legitimately scared or like it even entered my mind you know that like your mortality kind of enters your mind and that was obviously a bit dramatic but it was just kind of where my head was while I was looking at my leg in the ambulance and then so that was weird but then once we got through that, like you said, after a couple of weeks, it was a, it was a grind kind of because I was unemployed. And I was I didn't have a team, so that was a different aspect. But uh, physically, the elbow rehabs I think were tougher just because we didn't know what was happening. We didn't understand why it kept like it wouldn't get healthy. So that was a very that was a mental grind then too. Well, you've gotten yourself in a great place. I want to close with one fun question since we talked about you know the the camaraderie of the bullpen. You are a dad of three. Obviously, yep. you've got a loving wife who's helped you get to this point. If you had Thank to goodness, pick, yeah. if you had to pick one member of either the bullpen or the team to babysit, so you and your wife could get a date night, who do you trust the most, and why? Oh my gosh, who do I trust? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, there's a few of them down there with kids, so I'll disqualify them because obviously, if I say not them, then I'm insulting their parenthood. Okay. Um, so I would say, I, I think, I think JP, I think my kids would have fun with JP. He doesn't seem trustworthy on face value, but I think he is. He's a trustworthy guy. All right. We'll go with that. Good stuff. <laughs> Jason, you have gotten off to a, a terrific start with this team and we hope it continues for a long time to come. And we certainly appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That's Jason. Adam we will continue right after this. You're listening to the race baseball network. We continue on this week in race baseball. I'm Neil Solans, now joined by Brian Anderson of Bally Sports Sun. BA, thanks very much for being with us. Of course, Neil. Anytime. Well, we're at that marker. The first, I guess the first marker of the regular season, Memorial Day is tomorrow. What have you learned to this point and, and what stands out for you? Wow. Um, you know what? That this team, as as well as they have played at times and where they stand. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, it's relative to their peers in the American League. They still haven't, I think, hit their stride and had all three facets of the game firing on all cylinders. I think we've seen glimpses of it. Um, we obviously covering this team, you know, day in and day out, know what they're capable of, but I don't think that they've played up to their potential yet. Um, I, you know, certain guys, cer- certainly, but uh, overall, you know, the defense at times has been suspect. Uh, the offense has, you know, especially right now, it has not been clicking. Certain guys are, but they've not been able to put it all together, and so I still think there's room for this, uh, this team to grow, and, you know, the biggest thing I've pulled out is just the you know, the, the inconsistency, I guess. And then when you look, again, relative to their their peers in the American League, you know, they're still in good shape. And that's that's what you get when, unfortunately, you look at half of the American League stinks. So, you know, you just continue to play, you know, baseball, and, and hopefully they can get things going, and, and then they can take off. All right. Well, how much of the separation between the Rays and Yankees are due to the fact that the Yankees have had basically the same five starters healthy and the Rays still haven't had Boz, haven't had Patino. And finally, Ryan Yarbrough seems stretched out after his outing the other day. I think it's a big deal. I, I think that that's really what stood out about this series uh, is the New York pitching staff and how well they have thrown the ball. Nestor Cortez, you know, the numbers, there's nothing fluky, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. When you watch these guys pitch, there's nothing fluky about their numbers. Cortez was, uh, you know, so good in game one. Jamison Tyon was even better in game two. You know what Garrett Cole's capable of? It looks like Luis Severino over his last couple of starts, he's starting to round into shape. And that's the difference with that team right now is is, is their pitching and you know the the Rays again you're trying to piece this all together you're getting Ryan Yarbrough stretched out you're transitioning Jeffrey Springs into a starting role all on the fly you know that's not very easy to do without putting a tremendous amount of strain on your bullpen and yet the Rays have managed to do that and now Springs is good to go Yarbrough is good to go hopefully you know Shane Boz is doing his thing uh you know down there rehabbing and and hopefully he'll be back uh in a relatively short for, you know, time frame, and of course the top two. When you think about well, Corey Kluber yesterday, outstanding, uh, and you knew that that was going to happen. He, if he has a start that he that doesn't live up to his standards, he does a great job of bouncing back. And then your top two with Rasmussen and McClanahan have been absolutely locked down. So it's going to be a battle all season long, and I'm looking forward to obviously the game today. And then you're still going to get the Yankees six more times in the next couple of weeks. So uh, measuring stick games all around. Uh, and we'll get to, to Shane in a moment. You touched on Jeffrey Springs. How hard is what he's done, and how easy has he made it look? 100%. That's the thing I think that has really been impressive is not just his lines, his numbers, but just how he's been able to do this. You know, I didn't even really think or realize that that was in the cards. You thought, well, this is a guy that can go out there, you know, multiple innings. He can get out right-handers and left-handers. And then, you know, so it makes sense. But then all of a sudden it started to happen. And you're like, well, now you've got to do this, not in spring training. You're basically going through spring training as a starting pitcher during the regular season. And that is not easy to do at all. But you know what? They, they gave him, you know, an expectation. They gave him a target number of pitches. Get there get there. And the thing about Jeffrey Springs that's been, you know, really nice 
and fun to watch is just how efficient he is. So he's been able to make the most of those pitches, and now that he's fully stretched out, he's a guy that you can send out there, and he has the arsenal and the pitchability to be able to go through a lineup a third time because he has a good feel out there with what he's doing. He's got the three pitches. He's been able to keep them sharp and use them to both sides of the plate, and it's been really exciting watching uh, his development right before our very eyes as a uh, tremendous starting pitcher in this rotation. Yeah, two years in a row the Rays have done this, first with Rasmus, and now it's spring, stretching them out while the season is going on. But they've got a guy who is a starter on the mound today. What's impressed you most about Shane McClanahan? I mean, it, that's hard to even answer. It, it's, I think, probably the fact that I can't remember a start where one of his four pitches struggled. You know, a lot of guys will throw, you know, they've, they've got three pitches, they've got four pitches, and usually on any given, you know, start, one of those is not going to be up to par. One of them he's going to shy away from because it's, it's not very good that particular day. I can't remember a, a game like that for, for Shane. The, the fact that he's able to have four-plus pitches, four put-away pitches – when you look at his whiff rate, especially on the breaking balls, curveball, the slider, uh, you know, the changeup, and even the fastball, obviously he can blow you away with that. But you've got four-plus pitches, four put-away pitches, and they are sharp each and every start. I, it's, it's just been amazing how consistent he has been and how, you know, obviously good he has been. Mound presence has been incredible. I want to look at the other side and tell me, for, as a pitcher, what you're seeing with Wander Franco, is he getting himself out more or is he being pitched that tough that guys are getting him out in certain spots? And if so, where? Well, I, this started back in that Boston series at Tropicana Field, you know, three, four weeks ago, however long it was. This season's starting to speed up a little bit. But that series, they started throwing him change-ups. And they started having success. Swings and misses, weak ground balls to the right side. And I even remarked, you know, during those games, I said, this is going to become the blueprint. This is going to become the blueprint. Every team, they've got this video. They're seeing that Boston's having success, and they're having success with the changeup. He's going to see a ton of changeups going forward. Well, that has played itself out. And so early on, it was that particular pitch and getting Wander a little bit out of sync and out of rhythm. What has happened is that pitch and the lack of success, the little struggle that he had has gone through, it's gotten him in between. He is now a hitter that is in between. And what I mean by that is the changeup, the timing is still not great on the changeup. It's gotten better, but it's not great. So he still gets out in front on the changeup. And now, all of a sudden, when he does get that fastball that's out over the heart of the plate, he's a tad late on it. And that's what we mean by in between. You're not on time. You're a little out in front on the changeup, and you're a little behind the fastball. And that is a terrible place uh, for a hitter to be. And now, listen, he, he can work himself out of that, and I know that he's been putting the work in behind the scenes to do just that. But that's where it is right now. And, you know, Because I've seen over the last week a couple of you know, 92 to 94-mile-an-hour heaters that have been missed out over the plate that early in the season he was destroying, and now mm-hmm. he's fouling them off. And he's just a little bit late. And that's because of the work that the changeup has done to, to get him uh, you know, a little bit out of sync. That's, that's what I see. B.A., really good stuff. Have a good call today and a safe trip to Texas, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Neil. That's Brian Anderson of Valley Sports Sun as we get set for the Racing Yankees' last of four, first pitch at 140. Let's turn our attention to the minor league side. Joining us now, last year's first-round pick in Carson Williams, who is off to a really good start in uh, Charleston. Carson, thanks very much for being with us. All right. Thanks for having me. First of all, tell me what it's been like as a, a guy who was drafted out of high school last year to just get the chance to play full season ball here in her first full year as a pro and, and what the adjustment has been like. I mean, it's it's been uh, it's been pretty special so far. Charleston's a beautiful place and uh, it's just really exciting to wake up every day and know you got a game to play. Honestly, I think that's the biggest adjustment is uh, is playing so many games. And uh, it's it's a long season. I never realized how long it it really was, but I'm loving every bit of it. What's the hardest part with that so far, Carson? Is it the physical aspect or just the mental aspect of prepping every single day? I definitely feel like it's the mental the mental side of it more because I mean, there's obviously your ups and downs in baseball, and I feel like the the toughest part is staying as even as possible mentally. Just uh, knowing you got to go out every day, work hard, and get better. 
You got a little taste of this last year in the Florida Complex League. How much did that help you kind of prepare in the offseason for what was to come? It was just it was a little taste. I I, I can honestly say go, when I was going home from that uh, those couple months out there, all I wanted to do was come back. So it's super exciting to get a full year in, in uh, especially in Charleston. So I'm just having a good time with it. Tell me what maybe you did physically in the offseason to get ready for this year, because I, I talked to a lot of people in the organization who feel that physically um, you've matured a lot from even when you were drafted. Yeah, it was definitely uh, definitely cool. I, I hooked up with a uh, with a trainer out in uh, in San Diego, and he actually trained me more as a baseball player than just working out and trying to get bigger. So a lot more stretching and different types of lifts came into uh, came into my off season off season workouts, and I think that helped me a lot. Got me faster, stronger, and made me a better baseball player. Do you feel that on a daily basis? When did you start to notice the change? I noticed the change when I began to get a little bit more flexible and a little bit more loose just with my body. Because I I could remember after I'd get done with a workout, I felt tight. Or the next morning, I was super sore. And with the new workouts that I was doing, I just felt a lot better. My body felt better. And mentally, that's, that's always nice. Obviously, you're at a premium position playing shortstop. Do you feel that change more defensively or do you feel that more in the box in terms of your ability to get to pitches and your ability to maybe get certain extension on certain offerings where's the biggest difference I feel like it's definitely on the defensive side on that quick move and I guess you could say offensive too with base running I feel like a lot of it had to do with speed and quick movements so from a a guy who again played high school travel ball high level what's the biggest difference that you've seen in terms of the type of baseball not only playing every day but the quality of the baseball playing in Charleston. It's, I mean, as you go up, whether you go to college, whether you go to rookie ball, whether you go to high A, low A, double A, triple A, it's just going to keep getting better. And people throw harder, people throw, uh, people run faster, people hit the ball harder, and people pitch better. It's just uh, everything gets better as you go up. So I feel like you just got to keep going with it. Has there been anything that surprised you then? There hasn't been much that has, has really surprised me. I've been I was prompted before I, I got drafted. I had a lot of great conversations with a lot of great people who have been through the minor leagues, have played big league, played in the big leagues, and they've given me the right idea about what it's all about. So conversationally, who was who? Give me some names of some guys who gave you really good advice. I mean, I had my cousin Zach Zaner, who um, mm-hmm. he went through everything you could possibly go through in the minor leagues with the Yankees organization, and just uh, he helped me out a ton with everything. He gave me a list, the do's and don'ts of the minor leagues. And it just, uh, it cleared a lot of things up for me. What's the most important do and don't you learned that you, you, you're glad you knew about before you got to this? That you just, you can't get too mad at yourself because it's a hard game. It's a mean game. That's what we'll say. It's a mean game. It's staying as, as confident as possible because you're going to have times when you're not doing so hot and you're going to have times when you're doing great. So you just got to try to keep getting better every day. We're chatting with Carson Williams again, topic of the race playing for uh, Charleston in the Carolina league right now. And you're off to a really good start offensively and defensively. What have you liked most about your production to this point? Right now it's, it's been really good with, uh, with all my, with all the hitting guys that we have here. In spring training, a little bit, I was uh, I was struggling with some uh, with some of the pitching and just pitch selection and just getting used to seeing premium pitching. And now now that we're here, I mean, they've helped me out so much, and I've become more disciplined, and I'm hitting the ball harder, and everything everything seems to be uh, getting uh, going towards a better place. When you're going in the right direction, Carson, what are the things that you're doing best? What what kind of hitter would you describe yourself as? Very, very gap to gap with the occasional, occasional power sometimes. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm going good when I'm staying right center and I have my swing path going that way. And then I'll pull a ball when, when I need to. But the biggest thing for me right now is swinging at the right pitches and not missing the ones that are right there. For me, when I have my good at bats, I, I, um, I let the ones out of the zone go and, uh, and I'm swinging at the right pitches. And defensively, what have what are your strengths as a shortstop right now as a middle infield guy? The strengths right now, I mean, I've always had the arm, and um, 
love my on the run play. That's uh, it's one of my favorite favorite plays, and I can it's it's ingrained in my memory. But right now, just working on keeping my feet moving and always staying through the ball, never stop and get through the ball and make a throw. I know the rules are a little bit different from level to level. Uh, what have been the biggest adjustments from a rule change standpoint at the minor league level? I know they've had some experimental rules during the course of uh, this year with various leagues. Yeah, I think the only thing I can uh, I can touch on is that time clock. It's there and you can't get away from it. You got to just you got kind of always got to have your eye on it when you're up to bat because sometimes you take a little more time than you think and you got to rush back into the box so you don't get a strike called on you. Did is it does that help from a focus standpoint on the defensive end because you know that the game's constant and that you, you don't have a chance to even kind of lose your concentration or focus? I don't really see it as much on the uh, defensive side, mostly on the offensive side when you're in the box and you just know you got to get back in. Have you been have you been uh, called out or, or had a strike taken away to this point or have not as of as of yet, but I have had teammates that have gotten and one of our teammates got struck out on it one time. And from a, a group standpoint, you've been the most successful race minor league affiliate to this point. What's the talent level like and how do you guys how does this group kind of push one another as you get used to one another's personalities and, and talents? I mean, we got we got guys on guys here in Charleston, and it, it goes all the way up. I mean, the Rays organization is stacked. It's so deep. It's ridiculous. But just for this Charleston team, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really special. I mean, we got outfielders that take up the entire outfield. We got infielders that have hands. They're quick great arms and everybody here can hit. It's just, it, it's kind of unbelievable how good this team it really is when we're on. And how motivational is that? How much do you think that helps you and push you to grow this year? I mean, when you're playing against guys who are as good or better, it just, it makes you want to play harder. Always it makes you want to be better than the next guy. And it, it just brings a team together, honestly. And from a, either a coaching or, or teammate standpoint, who have been most helpful to you in terms of getting you adjusted to baseball life. I know you, you mentioned, you know, your cousin having played in the Yankee system helped you a lot coming into this year, but of the current group that you're with, who's been really helpful. Um, I, I gotta say my two, my two roommates, um, Mason Hour and Drew Baker. I mean, these guys went through college and well, Mason went through a little bit of college, but Drew went to Texas tech. He's been, Drew's been awesome. He's uh, he's helped me out a lot, just teaching me new things and, giving me a little feel about the game and then Bobby Seymour as well. Like these guys, they know they've been through college. They got a little bit more experience than me and uh, they just teach me little things and it's, it's really cool and fun. Well, keep up the good work. Uh, we're excited for the start that you're off to Carson and uh, continued success with the river dogs. All right. Thank you very much. And that's Carson Williams in his first full year in the race system for the Charleston river dogs. He's played 36 games so far hitting 315. 10 doubles, 7 triples, 5 homers, 24 RBIs with 13 stolen bases and an OPS of 995. Not bad. Coming up, we will wrap up Mental Health Awareness Month with Sammy Byerly of Baseball Operations and Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder on Gene Ramirez. Plus, we'll introduce you to Danny Docks of Baseball Ops. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball, and this is the Rays Baseball Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball and joining us right now is manager of baseball operations, Sammy Byerly, as we wrap up mental health awareness month. And Sammy, first of all, tell me your overall thoughts on how things have gone as you as a group have helped the Rays remember Gene and also built awareness for mental health in the Tampa Bay area. It's been really incredible. The response, both internally with our, our players and staff and externally, the response to to both the cause and to to Gene himself, I think it's very apparent how much he was loved and is loved by everyone here. And the response has really shown that. And I know his family is very grateful that that has turned into 
kind of a larger effort to, to raise awareness in general. Tell me how you first of all got involved, because generally you're handling a lot of stuff with the 40 man <laughs> roster and contracts, and you kind of became kind of the, the go-to person to help organize in this entire month. I wasn't expecting that, but I'm, I'm very grateful that I got to sort of act as the, the go-between for the Ramirez family and all the different people that have been involved within our organization. I think we knew we wanted to do something to honor him and we knew we wanted to do it right. And by doing it right, it would involve, I think I wrote down everyone <laughs> that has helped. Um, and I think it's about 10 point people. So rather than having the Ramirez family be in contact with each person individually, I sort of funneled <laughs> for them. So I can't take credit for much of anything that we actually did, but <laughs> I connected connected everyone to the right places to make sure it was was done right and with the level of care that we wanted to do it with. So it sort of happened by chance, but I'm just so grateful now to know the family and um, to have been able to, to help in any way that I could. Well, it sounds like it's been quite successful, A, in building awareness. We've done something here every single week, but B, also the money that was raised from the auction during this month. Yeah, David Eggles, our executive director, and um, Kevin Reed in our authentics department, and then Tyler Wall, our clubhouse manager, really put in a huge effort to, to make sure we had really cool stuff to auction off. I know that that's where it starts. And um, we auctioned off the jerseys that the team wore in spring training and a lot of other items that coaching staff and players donated um, to help raise money. And I think we ended up around 25,000. And again, just the effort that people put into doing everything and making it what it was, um, was really incredible. Can you put in perspective, I guess that can be a really big uh, impact too for the crisis center. You know, I, I talked earlier this month with Clara Reynolds and their needs are really great right now. Yes. Yeah. They're fan a fantastic group. They, they came to speak to our minor league players um, during spring training with the Ramirez family and Clara and her group were really instrumental in helping them figure out their message along with Vince Lodato, who is in, um, who is our EAP um, just really helped the family streamline their message and communicate with our guys. I know they're grateful for the partnership with us. We've had a partnership with them for a while, obviously with Brandon Lau helping, helping them annually as well. So I know it's meaningful to them, not just the money, but that they're able to be a part of this. It's been touching to see what the Rays have done at home, but also the way folks have joined in on the road. The Angels wore the green ribbons as well in Anaheim. And I know as you wrap up the month, you're going to Texas, Gene's home state, and the Rangers are helping too. It's been, we, we sort of let the other teams know that we were going to play on the road in May, what we were doing with the green ribbons, just so they were aware. And the Angels jumped in and said, hey, we want to we want to raise awareness too. We want to put those on um, our jerseys for our series there. They had some other efforts going on at their stadium as well. I noticed that they were handing them out to fans as they came in. And then the Rangers. So there is a foundation called Keeper of the Game that Gene and his family have worked very closely with. And they're based in Texas. Gene was raised in Fort Worth, Texas. And so David, again, reached out to... The Rangers, his counterpart there, and they are going to have their 50-50 proceeds benefit keeper of the game. And they're going to have an on-field presentation with Gene's mom and dad, his brother, and a cousin of his before the game on the 31st. And they've gone above and beyond. There's going to be a ton of family out at the game as well. Uh, they've been really amazing and supportive of their family and of, of us wanting to help them. So it's been very cool just to see how much love there is <laughs> across the game for just lifting up our family and Gene's family. And it's been really cool. We talked with Tony and Carlos, Gene's parents at, at the beginning of this month. And obviously it was incredible how strong they are. What is it meant to them to see what the Rangers are doing beyond this? Tony and Carlos are two of the most incredible people I think I've ever met. They're just warm warm people and their whole extends to, their, extends to their whole family. And they were blown away to find out that the Rangers were, were also going to 
contribute and, and help and do something local so that it's, it means the world to them. They're grateful for a, a ticket to the game. So <laughs> everything beyond that, they're just incredibly, incredibly grateful for everything that's gone on to honor their son. For the Rays organization, you've been with this group for a while. How has this changed baseball operations? <laughs> Hopefully for the better. Obviously, you know, from tragedy sometimes comes a ray of hope, uh, you know, some sunshine and, and what you guys have done obviously stands out. It's been an effort over the past couple of years to focus more attention on just our general well-being as a group, as players, as staff. And I think this accelerated our efforts. Really want to make sure that everyone's doing okay. And if they're not, that they're able to, to say that they're not doing okay and to know where to go for help, uh, to know that there are resources within the Rays, outside of the Rays. There are uh, lots of ways to try and help yourself. So it's been a horrible loss to lose Gene. You can see it with our guys, with our staff, but I know his family are really trying to, to make sure that it's something good comes from it. And they have always said, if they can help one person know that they can go get help, then they're happy. I think it's well said. And uh, <laughs> congratulations to all involved in making this a successful month to raise awareness and mental health. Thanks for all you did, Neil. And that's Rays Manager of Baseball Operations, Sammy Byerly. To learn more about the organizations the Rays have supported through Mental Health Awareness Month, you can go to RaysBaseball.com slash mental health. The last month certainly has been touching. In fact, I chatted with Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder about what it's meant to see what the Rays have done during the course of May. I have a tremendous amount of respect for our organization, but specifically, you know, given this initiative and, and, and what Gene meant to all of us and you know, what raising the awareness means, you know, and and just helping everybody understand that it's, it's okay not to be okay. And, and to continue to, uh, to, to express that and, and, and be willing to talk about things that, uh, that we go through, you know, we're all human and, um, we got to remember that. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, whatever we can do beyond the green ribbon and, and, and all the other things that, you know, uh, Eric and Matt and, and Brian have done, you know, just to, to raise this, you know, awareness, just given, you know, in the, in the light of the loss of Gene. Um, but it's been, it's meant a lot to all of us, you know, just because every day we come to the yard, we miss him. Every day I walk down to the bullpen, it's, it's a reminder. And, you know, um, I'm just, I'm proud to be a part of it. We've, throughout the month, we've been finding ways to remember Gene and put him in a way where our fans can understand what did he mean to you? What was he like as a human being? I, he was a tremendous person. He leveled me out every day, you know, and they can give me, you know, some crap down there just in terms of uh, maybe how serious I'll be. But, you know, he, he had a smile that, you know, that changed all our moods, you know, on a daily basis. And uh, he really loved what he did, you know, that he was in his element. And, you know, he had relationships with a lot of the guys because he was former teammates with about a handful of them, if not more. Um, and just to see kind of that evolve and their relationships continue to grow, um, you know, the, the guy has had so much trust in him and he was such an integral part of what, you know, we, we were able to accomplish the last few years. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think those guys and Misha himself, I don't think they get enough credit for what they do and Charlie, you know. Um, but, you know, these guys, uh, they, really, they really had a, a fond you know, fondness towards Gene and, and, and Gene was a, you know, he was, yeah, stuff. Do you have a good story as to something that, you know, touched you or just epitomize who he was sure. as a human being? Yeah. So, uh, last year they got me some shoes, um, and, uh, they were, I started to wear uh, these Stan Smiths and there were Stan Smith Yodas. There's a star Wars version or whatever. And, and he, he painted a pair of Stan Smith Yodas for me and I actually gave them to the auction as part of the auction. Um, and I signed them, but he, uh, he gave me those and he painted the, the Yodas face, which is on the heel of the shoe blue. So it, it matched, uh, it matched up well with our uniforms. And lastly, with all that's gone on, how has it brought the group together? Because you guys have had to deal with so much on a personal level. Yeah. I mean, it, it, usually things like that do, you know, bring people closer together, you know, and we were a close knit group to begin with. And uh, that, that should speak volumes about, you know, what this has done for us and 
you know, where we feel we all stand and, 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 and what our pursuit is throughout the rest of the year in an effort to honor Gene. And that's race pitching coach Kyle Snyder with his thoughts on the late Gene Ramirez. Again, the race will wrap up Mental Health Awareness Month fittingly in Texas, Gene Ramirez's home state. We've been having some features that we've uh, been bringing you about race baseball operations. Let's introduce you to Danny Docks. Hi, I'm Danny Docks. I am a coordinator in baseball development. I actually started with the Rays through the MLB Diversity Fellowship. It was the first year they were doing that back in 2018. Knew I wanted to be in sports post-college, had played softball through college, but wasn't quite sure what that avenue was going to look like. And then the fellowship ended up coming across my academic athletic advisor's desk at school and Everything kind of fell into place from there. Baseball obviously was the number one choice, not only with my softball background, but having loved baseball growing up and it being, in my opinion, such a niche sport compared to the others. It definitely kind of worked out in my favor. And three years later, I'm still here somehow. So what ignited your passion for baseball as a kid? I think, honestly, I always had a ball in my hand of some sort, even before I got on the field. I started in Little League Baseball, so the feeling of like being the only girl on the field and being around the guys was always fun. And then once I transitioned to softball, it just kind of became something that was an outlet for me. I loved the competitive nature. Like I said before, I loved the nicheness of it. It's not, you know, it's a lot of fine-tuned motor skills and things like that that you may not get in other sports, in addition to just pure athletic ability and being able to kind of hone those and let it take me through college and then ultimately like end up in a career like this is has certainly been a blessing. You say you were someone who played softball all the way through college, but you were more than just someone who played softball through college. You were a pretty good player at Princeton, right? It depends on the day. I held my own some days. Other days were better than others. But uh, (laughs) I certainly enjoyed my time there and uh, was blessed to be able to kind of play at that level and be able to carry my education out on on the same side. But you had the chance, what, to go? You did an overseas tour before you even started your fellowship, right? I did. I went three months. I got the opportunity to kind of be a player coach in Sweden. Very different experience, but it was cool to kind of be able to come full circle. Softball is not super developed over there. So to kind of be able to come back and really remember why I enjoyed the game in the first place um, when I started all those years ago, it was really fun, really good experience to kind of be able to play both sides of the ball too and, and coach and play. But yeah, Rays were very, very nice in letting me kind of accomplish that before starting the fellowship. Did you have other choices with the fellowship? Because I know you, in essence, apply to Major League Baseball and then teams mm-hmm. reach out to you. Were the Rays the team you chose ultimately or, or were there other options? There were definitely other teams that reach out. The Rays were first and kind of pursued the whole way through. And, you know, talking to people that already worked in the industry, it was made very clear to me at the very beginning that if I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to go with the Rays, I'd be remiss kind of not to take it. So while there were some other opportunities that came up along the way, the Rays were the most persistent, the first, um, and it certainly worked out. So give us an idea of what types of things you've done for the Rays and maybe what you hope to do in the future. So the fellowship, the first 18 months of my time with the Rays was almost like a rotational program where I got to kind of do a bunch of projects in a bunch of different areas from research and development to player development, all of those types of things. And then towards the end of the the fellowship is when I kind of started to funnel into more of what I do now, which is in baseball development, which incorporates a lot of player development performance science for me. So My job is essentially I travel around to all of our minor league affiliates, spend some time there with our coaching staff and our players. And I'm kind of the buzzword we like to use is I I bridge the gap between our on-field staff and players and our front office team and the analytics. So a lot of it is creating relationships, being available, ad hoc research projects as they come up for our coaching staffs and just kind of making sure that communication flows between both ends. It's easy to be out of sight, out of mind when front offices, obviously the trap and affiliates are out there across the country. So I'm kind of that conduit between the two. As far as future, I'm not entirely sure what it holds. I do know I thoroughly enjoy being on the field. I enjoy my time with the affiliates, the day-to-day things that I get to do there. I love being able to to put a glove on and, and form the relationships with the coaches and the players in addition to the relationships I have in the front office. So 
what it looks like, I'm not sure, but I certainly would not want to stray any further from the field than I already am, if that makes sense. Because I, I ask that since there are a lot of women now coaching and mm-hmm. we do have a, a women manager in the Yankee system, mm-hmm. is that something that you hope to do someday? It's certainly not the question. I would love to dip my feet in there and see what that's like, but I'm not opposed to just kind of seeing where the coordinator route takes me as well. But I do enjoy the minor league side a lot, the player development side, getting to work with the younger guys, the guys working up through the system. Um, So whether it's coaching or field coordinator or any type of coordinator, whatever that is, none of it is out of the question as far as what I want to do right now. But I do know that I want to be out there with the relationships on the field and being able to kind of do that on a day-to-day basis. And what did you study at Princeton and which has become more applicable? What you studied there or the softball experience that you had there? (laughs) I was an ecology and evolutionary biology major at Princeton. So there are certainly ways you can spin what I took from my education at Princeton, you know, problem solving, things like that. I wrote a thesis on color vision in hummingbirds. So not quite sure that applies to my day-to-day responsibilities here with the Rays. Certainly being able to put a glove on and, and my softball experience has has lended itself to my responsibilities here potentially a little bit more, but it's not to say I got nothing out of my major, but it's not something that I would say that I use on a day-to-day basis here. Great to introduce you to Danny Docks from Race Baseball Operations and terrific to hear her story as well. And we thank her and all the guests on the show today. Before we continue, why don't we pause for station identification. This is the Race Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, W237CW Pendellis Park, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and iHeart Radio Station. Hey, the little rays in your life can be part of the action, too, with the Race Rookies Kids Club, presented by High Chew. Sign up today. They'll receive a backpack, hat, 50% off tickets to select home games, and more memberships are limited. Go to racebaseball.com slash race rookies. We do thank Danny Docks for being with us and all the guests on the show today, including race reliever Jason Adam, who's off to a brilliant start this year. Brian Anderson from Bally Sports Sun, the race top pick from a year ago, shortstop Carson Williams, joining us from Charleston. Also, Sammy Byerly from Race Baseball Operations for talking about Mental Health Awareness Month and also race pitching coach Kyle Snyder. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me. You can do so at Neil Solons. Next week, the always entertaining Brett Phillips and much, much more. A special thanks to producer Jason Berenger. I'm Neil Solons. The pregame show is next on the Race Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.